So Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, "'What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish.' "'Come on,' the sailors said to each other. "'Let's cast lots. Then we will know who is to blame for this trouble we're in.' So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, "'Tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from?' He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. So it may quiet down for you, for I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. The waters engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. But you raised my life up from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So I'm going to continue on chapters 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out in earnest to God. Each must turn from his evil ways, from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, that he had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I, what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I am angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Andy. If I haven't met you, uh, we start this exciting journey in the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is one of the most famous books in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, I'm sure we've all heard sermons on Jonah. Some of us here, I know, have given sermons on Jonah. You might have named your kid after Jonah. His name means dove, by the way, in case you have done that. Um, The big thing about Jonah is that there are a lot of different things out there said about Jonah. Lots of different ideas. Now, I I just want to illustrate that by showing you uh, what happened when the guys in the office tried to help us out with the artwork about Jonah. So here's their first attempt. Nice. Here's another one. Apparently he's called Jonah. And here's another one. Nice. Theological genius, isn't it? Um, In all seriousness, there, there are a lot of different things said about Jonah, and particularly how Jonah relates to us. Some people say that Jonah is all fiction, 
that it's just a wim- one big parable and all the different elements relate to a different bit of life and we can just take out these big life lessons from Jonah. Uh, some people tell us that Jonah is all about the fact that you can't run from God and if you do, the ogre in the sky is going to get you with a whale. Some people, are, um, some people preach it as if uh, uh, that, that what we do in life doesn't matter. God will always win. And so sit back and enjoy the ride and enjoy whatever floats, floats your boat. See, the thing about those views on Jonah is that they don't get to the heart of the book. See, Jonah is not about a big fish. It's not even about primarily about a triumphant preacher saving the day. Jonah is a gripping, true story about the matchless mercy and grace of our compassionate God. It's in the Bible so that we would fully know with depth and with clarity, the God that Jonah describes in chapter 4, verse 2. Just look at it with me. It'll come up on the screen. Uh, Jonah says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, the one who relents from sending disaster. I'm going to start by praying that we would come to know that God, with greater depth and greater clarity. clarity. So why don't you pray with me and pray for me? That would be great. Our Lord God, we do praise you for this chance to sit under your word in Jonah. Father, we pray that we would be gripped and engaged as we look at it. We pray that we would see you through it, that we would see you more clearly that we would love you more with our whole hearts and that we would follow you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, there are some things in the Bible that I really wish weren't in the Bible. I'm sure you think the same. Uh, Some things like this, from the lips of Jesus. Jesus says, Matthew 5, 44 to 45, But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Whose idea was it to put that in the Bible? I mean, that means that I have to love people that I don't necessarily like. That means I have to love people like Daniel Joyner. Daniel Joyner uh, was a guy when I was 11 years old who used to, on a regular basis, grab me by the tonsils if I stood in front of him in the bus queue. I don't want to love Daniel Joyner. I don't even like Daniel Joyner. I don't want to even share the gospel with Daniel Joyner. But Jesus says, love your enemies, even Daniel Joyner. He says, love your enemies and show them the salvation that I've given to them in Jesus. We heard about it last week, didn't we? As we heard about the parable of the good Samaritan. Who did the Samaritan show love to? His enemy, the Israelite. And Jesus says, 
go and do likewise. I think I'm right in saying that we find that pretty difficult, don't we, to love our enemies. It's pretty difficult to love your friends in the same way that God does, let alone love your enemies. We kind of put these parameters on people, don't we? We hide God from people. We run from talking about Jesus to people. And we love putting those little loopholes in our lives that get us out of the prickly and difficult bits that Jesus says, like loving your enemies and making disciples of all nations. We do it, don't we, because uh, people are really big and scary. People are massive. They're scary. Our friends are scary. And so often our God is so small and puny. It's really difficult to love your enemy. Nadine Collier knows how difficult it is to love her enemy. On the 20th of June, uh, she came face to face with this guy, uh, Dylan Roof. He was the guy who walked into a prayer meeting at Emmanuel Methodist Church in Charleston and shot her 70-year-old mother, Ethel. Shot her 70-year-old mother, Ethel, along with eight other people from the church. Nadine Collier said this to him as she faced him in the video link. You took something very precious from me. I'll never be able to talk to her again. Hold her again. But I forgive you. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you. And I forgive you. Incredible, isn't it? How is it even possible? Such a tall order. But Nadine Collier knows just how big her God is. And she is able to walk with Jesus, loving her enemies, walking with him day in, day out, even through the most darkest of days. Well, I wonder whether your God is that big that you might love your enemies, that you might love your friends in the same way that God loves them. I've got three points this morning just to help us from Jonah chapter 1. We're just looking at Jonah 1. Great to have the whole book read, but we're looking at just uh, Jonah 1 this morning. Three points from Jonah 1 to help us see just how big our God is so that we might walk day in, day out with him. So first point, we see in Jonah 1 a mirror of ourselves. Now, if you can start to imagine how difficult it was for Nadine Collier to forgive Dylan Roof, you're starting to sense just what God is asking of Jonah there in verse 1 of chapter 1. Have a look with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. God is, telling, in a, God is telling Jonah, in a nutshell, to love his enemy. We heard in the, in the kids' talk that Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. They were the arch enemies of God's people. They were a superpower in the region. Uh, what we didn't hear in the, in the kids' talk, that they were, they were bloodthirsty. They dominated the Middle East. 
And they were famous for skinning anyone who opposed them and then pasting their skins onto the wall of the cities to uh, put anyone else off trying to overthrow them. They're horrible. And so, verse 3, he do, Jonah does what any one of us would do, and he legs it. God says, get up and go to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Tarshish. Instead of going east, Jonah runs west to Ibiza. One ticket to not Nineveh, please. Uh, Jonah says he's away. The interesting thing is Jonah doesn't run because he's scared. Jonah knows that God isn't sending him to Nineveh just to go, nah, 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 God's going to get you. Jonah knows the drill, you see. See, Jonah's a prophet. He knows that the wickedness of Nineveh goes up to God. The prophet gets deployed to the enemies. The message gets preached by the man. And Nineveh gets a chance to change their ways. Jonah hates it. We have to wait for chapter 4 to see how much he hates it. Uh, but in chapter 4, we learn uh, that jo- we hear Jonah say, we hear Jonah say, uh, God, I knew you would let those scoundrels off. I knew you would forgive them. Jonah gets really angry and he runs. Now, this is bad news for everyone in the boat, isn't it? Verse 4, God sends a violent storm. Verse 5, The sailors are afraid, and each cried out to his God. Thanks for that, Jonah. Why didn't you get the bus? It's terrible, isn't it? Nice one. At this point, you find yourself screaming at the Bible. You find yourself screaming at Jonah, along with the sailors in verse 6. They say, what are you doing, sound asleep? Get up, call your God. Makes you want to shake your Bible, doesn't it? Jonah is just being this idiot. You look at him and go, what are you doing? But then the penny drops, doesn't it? And you realize that there is so much of Jonah in us. The lesson from the character of God is not so much, don't be like Jonah. I'm sure you've heard one of those before. But the lesson is, You are exactly like Jonah. See, God has given us a message about Jesus to take to his enemies, the world around us. And we know that we're so like Jonah in that, don't we? I'm so like Jonah in that. Do you know who governs Nineveh these days? Anyone got an idea? ISIS. Nineveh is in the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. Imagine receiving a personal letter inviting you to become the CMS missionary to Mosul. Imagine that. We'd run, wouldn't we? We'd scarper. And we know we all run for a lot less than ISIS or Mosul. We all run. We all run for a lot scarier tasks than that. I wonder whether you've had that moment, you probably will have done, in a conversation when you're talking to a friend and Jesus comes up. There's a perfectly good opportunity to talk about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And you bottle it. Anyone done that? I've done it. 
and you steer the conversation back into small talk zone where it started. We do it all the time. Jonah tells us, don't be surprised when that happens. Don't be surprised when you run because it's the Jonah in us kicking in. See, given the choice, we'll run every time from our enemies, from our friends, from the mission that God has put us on in our lives. See, there's always a place to run. Tim Keller famously said, there's there's always a ship to get on. It doesn't matter what situation you're in, there's always a ship, there's always a way out. And that spells disaster for all of the people around us. Just like the sailors for Jonah. See, like the sailors on the boat, our city clings to these fake gods. Did you notice how good the the fake gods were when they faced death on the storm? Hopeless, aren't they? They're useless in a crisis. They are nothing in saving them from death. And like Nineveh, Our world is headed for destruction under God's wrath. The Bible makes that very clear. and says our job is to warn people. And like Jonah, sadly we run from God and the mission he's put us on. We are God's strategy for God's mission in God's world. Seems ridiculous really, doesn't it? I'm sure there's much better ways than putting Andy Pierce as the missionary to Riley Street in North Sydney. It's ridiculous. Surely someone has dropped the ball on this hire. Surely. Thankfully, God is bigger than us. He's bigger than us, and he succeeds where we fail. And that's our next point this morning, that in Jonah 1, we get a close-up on God, a close-up on God. Do you notice just how specific and how big um, uh, Jonah gets God wrong? Did you, did you notice that? The clue is there in the phrase that gets repeated. I wonder whether you spotted it. There, it's there twice in verse 2. Uh, Jonah flees from the Lord's presence. Verse 10. The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence. You see, Jonah's mistake in getting God wrong is that Jonah thinks he can leave God at the border crossing. But just look at how God works in this passage. Just look at his sovereignty. It's pretty amazing. As Jonah runs, the sovereign Lord sends a boat. As Jonah sails, the sovereign Lord sends a storm. As the sailors fear, the sovereign Lord gives them Jonah. And as Jonah drowns, The sovereign Lord sends a whopping big fish to save his life. It's incredible, isn't it? Such control. People get in a bit of a tears about uh, whether a man can be swallowed by a fish. They said that's never happened. uh, That's never happened and it never will happen. It never can happen. But that's the point. This is a miraculous salvation from the Lord. Saving uh, someone in the most incredible, miraculous way. Now, Jonah should have known, uh, should have known the, uh, the, the, the character of God. He should have known the control that he had. 
Just look at the, 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 the clue in verse 9. It gives this little speech to the sailors. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Again, you're shouting, idiot. You're running from the creator of the oceans. You're running from uh, the creator of the oceans, and your chosen method of transport is by boat. Ridiculous. Idiot. See, Jonah's problem is not that, uh, Jonah's problem is that intellectually, he knows how big God is. He knows his Bible. He went to youth group. He went to Sunday school. He was confirmed. He's heard Paul Dale's sermon on the fear of God and the mercy of God. But in practice, Jonah had this pocket-sized God. Little pocket-sized God, didn't he? Let me ask you, how big is your God? How great is your God? We all sing it, don't we? Is he as big in practice? Is he as big in your life? as he is in theory? Does he appear in your life as big as he does on your lips and in your Bible study? Or is he a pocket-sized God? He should be the massive God that we see there in Jonah 1. But for many of us, he won't be. All of us tend to have borders in our lives, don't we? We put these little ring fences around the different compartments of our lives, you know, the work, the family, the friends, the job, the career, the sport, the social life, that kind of thing. And we all have a tendency, like Jonah, to confine God to each of these areas. So perhaps we'll uh, let God uh, rule in the the church bit because everyone, everyone at church knows we're Christian and that makes us look good. But Perhaps we don't let him rule between the, in, in, in the work compartment. We keep him at that side of the border. Hopefully you see that Jonah, from Jonah's experience that it's foolish to confine God by a border, to banish him to one or two compartments of our lives. Not just because God can't be boxed, we know that. We know that the God, the, the ogre in the sky will get you with a whale. But when you ditch God in one compartment of your life, you replace him with something else. You replace him with the God that the sailors have. You replace him with a fake God. You see, Jonah wasn't just running away from the God of Israel. In doing that, he was running to the God of the sailors. He left God in Israel and he was off to Spain to enjoy the gods there, the gods with a lower bar and the nicer appearance. And do you see how those gods stand up in this crisis? The sailors call out to their gods as they face death. And what happens? They're silent. They're silent. And so will our fake gods be when tough times hit, when crisis hits. As you cry out to your fake gods of money and success and financial security, all we'll get is an echo. As we cry out to those, uh, as we cry out to those fake gods in the crisis and tough times of our lives, see they can't 
save us from death. They can save us from a lot of things. They cannot save us from death. They cannot save us from true crisis. And all we'll be left with as we cry out to those fake gods is an echo. Maybe you know that all too well, that you've been challenged. God has put something on your heart. And you know that you've constrained God uh, in these little boundary markers in your life. Or you've evicted him from one specific area of your life. And you've just discovered how big God is. And you've realized how painful a false God can be. Maybe that area of your life where you have constrained God has just come crashing down. And you know what it's like to call out to a fake God. Well, the Lord wants us to come back to him, to come back to the true God, Yahweh, who made the heavens and the earth. Because God is not only sovereign, we see that in Jonah 1, but he is also good. And he has sent a saviour in Jesus who is infinitely better than Jonah. And that's our final point this morning. We'll look at that just briefly. That Jonah 1 1 paints us a picture of our saviour. So we get a portrait of our saviour. As we read Jonah, we read Uh, We get this, uh, if you like, list of ingredients required to make a perfect saviour. You see, um, Jonah's failings paint this beautiful picture of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. As you read Jonah 1, we see that Jesus is a messenger who not only carries the word of God, but is the word of God in flesh. In Jesus, we see a rescuer who doesn't run from God's enemies, but runs to God's enemies. In Jesus, we see a saviour who willingly puts his body on the line to die, not only for a few men on a boat, but for the whole world, for you and me, for our friends, for our city, for our world. See, God goes to the cross in Jesus, to rescue his enemies, to rescue our helpless Nineveh-like world. Jonah says in Matthew's gospel, something greater than Jonah is here. And that is meant to be good news because we are not left with the Muppet Jonah. We are left with the true and perfect saviour, Jesus. He wants us to get the point. In, in Mark chapter 4, he reenacts this Jonah 1 scene with his disciples. But the difference is he's not running away from God's plan. He's running to the cross. He's not threatened by the storm. He commands the storm with all the authority of God. And he shows himself to be the perfect saviour. God come to earth shows himself to be the perfect saviour, and he dies for his enemies. He dies for his enemies, and really he achieves a rescue like nothing, we, nothing else we see, nothing else in human history. You can read the whole of the Old Testament, and you see these attempted rescues at sorting out the problem between the separation of God and man. But Jesus, only Jesus saves us from God's wrath 
and saves us for the most incredible relationship with our maker and gives life to his enemies like you and me. With that life comes great hope, certain hope, that will stand up in the most darkest of times. See, Jonah 1 doesn't so much give a statement of like, uh, you shouldn't, um, doesn't, uh, doesn't say to us, uh, you can't run from God or God will get you with a big fish. But Jonah 1 asks us the most amazing question and says, why on earth would you run from this God? Why on earth would you run from this massive God who has given you his son to rescue you? Friends, I want to encourage you not to run from God. I want to encourage you to enjoy life by walking with him. Even through the darkest of days, I want to encourage you to to know just how big his love for his enemies like you and me is so that we can have our lives transformed and love our enemies in a similar way as we know just how far God's reign extends, as we see just how matchless his grace and compassion really is. It's an amazing picture of God and one that should shape every day of our lives. I'm going to close by praying and then we're going to have a a time of open prayer. We'll say a confession and I'd love us just to really be honest before God and say sorry for the times that we have run from him. Perhaps there is something you know you are running from, a compartment in your life where you wish you, where you've tried to leave God at the border. Let's lay it bare before God this morning, and then we'll have a time of open prayer, and let's praise God that he has sent a saviour better than Jonah. Let's ask him to help us to walk with him day in, day out, even through the tough times and the difficult conversations. So let's pray. Our Father God, we do, we are sorry for when we have run from you, when we have got you wrong, when we have, when you have become our pocket God and our hobby. Father, we do pray that we would know just how big you are, how much you love your enemies, and just how much you've given to us in Jesus. Amen.